Hello, this is Lunar Poetry Podcast. I'm David Turner. Today I'm in Belfast. Lizzie and I are visiting the fantastic Belfast Book Festival, which takes place mainly at the beautiful Crescent Arts Centre, but also takes place in other venues across the city. The trip and episode have been made possible by funding from Arts Council England, so a huge thank you to them. If you'd like to find out more about what we're up to or have been up to or to download a transcript of this episode, then go over to www.lunarpoetrypodcast.com. Also, you can follow us at Lunar Poetry Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at silent underscore tongue on Twitter. As always, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes for Apple users, Stitcher for Android devices, or just anywhere else you access your podcasts. This episode is in three parts. Later, we're going to hear from Matthew Rice and Women Allowed Northern Ireland. But first, I'm joined by some of the editors from The Tangerine, a new literary magazine based here in Belfast. Hello, Hello the three of Hello. you. Hello. Hello. To start with, we're going to allow you all to introduce yourself and then we'll chat a bit about what you're doing and why. Great. Um, I'm Tara McAvoy and I'm the editor of The Tangerine. And I'm Caitlin Newby and I'm the poetry editor. Uh, I'm Patrick Regan and I'm a contributing editor at The Tangerine. Perfect. I want to start by saying it's beautiful. Lizzie and I saw it in a book, really great. If you're in Belfast and anywhere near the Botanic Gardens, then go to No Alibis Bookshop, which is on Botanic Avenue. And that's a great bookshop in itself. But we first saw The Tangerine in there and we're both drawn to it. And then we saw the showcase you put on last night as part of the Belfast Book Festival. We should start by discussing why it started and why you, why you felt there was a need for it. Tara and I have been friends for years and for quite a few years we'd sort of said in the abstract one day we would like to put out a literary magazine and um, there are some great magazines happening in the south of Ireland and um, Banshee Lit and The Stay and Fly who were joining us in Belfast yesterday but there really isn't anything similar in Belfast. There is the Irish Pages which is I think something slightly different and then there was the Yellow Nib which was edited from Queen's University but it is now continuing only as a digital platform and we felt that there was a need for something like this uh, here in, in the north of Ireland. Was that a need to reflect something that was happening here that's different to the rest of Ireland? I think we're hoping to print a mixture of writers from Northern Ireland and also from kind of more internationally. So I think in one sense it was important for us to offer a platform to new writers working here, but also to kind of get away from any insular outlook and, you know, try and really push it further. Yeah. Since it's a poetry podcast, maybe we should direct this question towards you, Kaylin. Is there a definite theme or style of stuff that you're looking for? There's no set theme. Style-wise, I definitely am drawn to certain poems, I guess, over others, but I can try to read everything. And there was over 200 poem submissions from the last issue, which was incredible. And there was a lot of variety, but things that I'm drawn to interesting kind of sound patterns and plays and with words, poems from anywhere, really. So it kind of, yeah, I'm not kind of trying to be constricted by yeah. anything. Well, that's and a good enough answer. Yeah. That's the honest answer. That's a good answer. Um, and in terms of submissions, I know we were just talking before we started recording that you haven't got a firm date set for the next submission window, but when it does open, which we'll promote, um, how is that going to work? And it, does it work for all, is it the same for all sections of the magazine? It's the same for all sections and across every issue. Um, so whenever we open our submission call, we'll put that out on social media and it'll be up on our website. Um, so just if you check out thetangerinemagazine.com, 
uh, there'll be information about submissions there and just kind of email the relevant editor yeah. with your And what kind of work are you looking for in terms um, of different styles? Well, we accept poetry, fiction and non-fiction as well. So far, we've had really, really huge amounts of submissions in fiction and poetry, um, but not as many uh, in creative non-fiction. And, and that's something that I know Tara in particular is really interested in in promoting creative non-fiction as a, a literary genre. Yeah, so in terms of people getting hold of the magazine, uh, do you have any stockists outside of Northern Ireland at the moment? We have magazines in books upstairs in Dublin at the minute, yeah. um, if you're in the south. And then uh, online, we've got an online shop as well. Okay, yeah. Is there an online version of it? Or is it just a print? It is just print. We are currently updating the website and we're hoping to put some content from each issue on to the website. Yeah. A couple of pieces of po poetry or excerpts mm -hmm. from prose. Yeah, it takes a sense of what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I know it's hard to sort of perhaps explain because it's only the second issue and yeah. like yeah. there's, there's still a, a lot to grow and do. But it's, it's nice to talk to people at the start of projects as well and get an idea of, you know, we can maybe meet in a couple of years and see whether, <laughs> whether you stuck to it or not. And we'll hold you all personally accountable. <laughs> yeah, I really love the magazine. I think people should check it out. Hopefully... You know, this is this is a podcast that is based online and it shouldn't be, for a start, it shouldn't be London-based where we're from. But, you know, hopefully we've got listeners in Ireland so they'll be able to find a physical copy. I just wanted to get you guys onto the episode to just get a bit of exposure to the magazine because it looks really beautiful and, I, and you seem to have some really great writers lined up, at least in the second issue. So I just wanted to give you a chance to tell people that were listening. And I've really enjoyed Belfast. So thank you, the three of you. No, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Um, yes. It's a very short interview or discussion, <laughs> but, um, you know, you have to pay for your own advertising, don't we? <laughs> Next up, if I do my editing correctly, because, again, I'm dangerously recording an intro before I've even begun to edit the episode, I think Matthew's coming up first. So, But before Matthew comes up, I would like you to remember that we don't have a marketing budget all podcasts rely on word-of-mouth recommendations. If you like what we do, please tell your friends and colleagues. Poetry needs your help. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Here, I hope, is Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> this is a poem, a strange little poem called The Turtle. It was inspired by the Japanese folktale of Urashimo Taro. The Turtle. After Urashimo Taro. One of the days I lost in childhood, I have traced to the turtle that could see me coming along the beach and went into its shell. I stood and watched its gleam and saw the light of things in the Tama tobacco pattern. I tried to coax it out with a pebble, but it was equal to such a gesture. I used soft words and even sang a little but there was no music in it. It remained patient in its shell the whole afternoon. I returned with my old age among people unwilling to listen. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having uh, me. That's all right. Uh, how are you doing? Not doing too bad. Good. Too We've bad. just had some pancakes, which yep. is amazing. We just uh, the first time I've ever eaten vegan pancakes. Likewise, bit, yeah. As a bit of context for those people listening, I don't ramble too much about pancakes <laughs> and bananas. Yeah. We were just at an event for the po uh, Belfast Book Festival, which was called Poetry and Pancakes, in which you read with three other. Are they were they yes. all Belfast-based poets? Uh, yes, Paul Madden is originally from Bermuda. 
Yeah. And he lives, uh, teaches or has taught at the Seamus Heaney Centre in Belfast. Stephanie Kahn, uh, well, she'll be well known in, in these parts, and Alice McCulloch. So we met, I'm terrible with time, I can't remember, I but you did a reading for the Squat Pen. The Squat Pen, yes. Um, I was going to give them a shout out. And they run a regular night in the North and the Republic of Ireland, don't they? Yeah. They, they uh, combine poetry and music. Yep, yep. Uh, Ray Givens, the poets Ray Givens and Paul Jeffcott yeah. are the two uh, guys that run that. And uh, they bring together established names and more up-and-coming yeah. names that are yet to publish a full collection, of which I would fit into that bracket. I'm going to give them a quick plug because I wouldn't have met you without them. And apparently <laughs> you can find them at the Squat Pen on Facebook. It's the easiest way to find them. They yep. told me the other night. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start because I've only seen you read a couple of times. I've read a few poems online this morning in preparation as well. Might start with just an impression that I got from what I've heard so far. And then you can tell me whether you agree or disagree or whether mm -hmm. you see any relevance to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And tell me it's bollocks if it's bollocks. Right? <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's completely <laughs> Most of your poems made me think of sort of quite old still photographs. Mm -hmm. Does that Well, I'm actually glad. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you got that impression because I'm doing so many readings at the festival uh, in a close proximity. I'm trying to put together little themes. So when I read them the other night on Thursday night, it was um, more of a broader spectrum of my poems, but last night's reading was a more personal kind mm. of thing. That's basically what I was trying to do, was to, is to create a snapshot in the reader's mind, a snapshot of a snapshot, if you like, yeah. which I think is what memories kind of constitute. Yeah. And does memory play a big part in your writing? Yes, I think it was Seamus Heaney said that uh, for him, a lot of his poems, not that I'm aligning myself with Seamus Heaney, just uh, to illustrate the point about memory, he uh, said that a lot of his poems come out of something remembered. Mm. Not that all my poems do that, uh, of course, I, I, I'm interested in a lot of different things, but if I'm writing a personal poem, it's normally stems from a memory or mm. something remembered or something that I look at that reminds me of something from my past. Do you feel any obligation to make them true memories or are they elaborations? Or... Yeah, well, that poem, The Turtle, that I just read, I'm only gradually starting to kind of figure out what that poem's about. You know, that's not an experience that I had. The turtle is probably just more of a, a metaphor for maybe feeling out of place. It's more of the sense of the poem rather than the actual words used in it. So memories of feelings rather than yeah, yeah. focusing on fixed events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a way of bringing out a feeling or sense in yourself through something kind of removed. I guess that's what uh, quite a lot of poetry is basically about, really. It's about finding your way in and out. Yeah. Of feelings. How long has this been a theme in your writing? I'm 36 now. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say I feel old then because I don't want to make no, you feel no, old. No, no, no. Well, you don't look 36. <laughs> no, I know. I know, I know. As uh, a lot of London poets now, I've got a very good skin uh, yeah. vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. but a healthy yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly uh, swimming the serpentine like Byron might have done. I've found myself more drawn Actually, I don't know if I'm more drawn to writing about memories in that way or whether I'm just seeing the connection more. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? About whether or not I'm drawn to writing about memories or...? I'm uh, wondering whether I've seen it in your work because I'm more preoccupied Yeah, with it. I think that's one of poetry's successes is if you can connect with someone else's writing as if it's either happened to you or you know what that person's getting at. 
I think an example, I mean, we all know Seamus Heaney's early poems and his poems, I say early poems, he wrote about his childhood right through to his last collection. Uh, there's a poem called Turkey Buzzards. I was discussing this with Paul Mattern earlier, actually, uh, by Paul Muldoon. And it's so, he's writing about turkey buzzards and there's so much going on in it. But yet it's actually an elegy for his sister who died of ovarian cancer. And even though the language is so out there and the images are so historical and, you know, abstract in a way, I know what he's getting at. The feeling is in the, or is in the, the poem. So I, I'm kind of interested in that. Uh, and I think if you can connect with that sense in a poem of something remembered or some, something elegiac in terms which is, you know, basically it's a, Elegies are basically memory poems and tribute, really, aren't they? Yeah. So, I think if you can connect to that, the poet's done his job, done his or her job, you know. You but I, but, yeah. but I think your point's a valid one, mm. and I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I also got the impression that there was a, quite a sadness in the poems, but yeah. not melancholic. Yeah, yeah. You know, like an acceptance. Yep. Maybe. Yeah, I was. I got got a quite a few poems that are quite kind of heavy, heavy going, historical or based that I I guess um, they're not about death but death would feature and I'm kind of interested in the idea of you know dealing with the acceptance of death yours or the people around you both 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 probably mostly my own <laughs> you know but I think I was chatting earlier actually to someone was saying about how poems about death can be very uplifting as well I find maybe that's just my strange take but you know, I think it's that word acceptance is an yeah. important word, I think, um, yeah. when you're writing about death or, you know, sadness or whatever. Mm. No, um, I mean, I've always had comments that maybe my writing is a bit dark or mm -hmm. at best melancholic, at worst depressive. But I always feel like if you're talking about those feet mm -hmm. subjects and you're still around to talk about them, that's yep. optimistic enough in itself. Exactly. You know, exactly. If you're still there to communicate these ideas, that's... Exactly. Any poems I read about death have been memorable so maybe i'm just interested in the memorable as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and you know you can celebrate it too yeah actually i don't know whether this bit will go in but i've become really obsessed with this idea i've rejected a lot of work recently but not like it might get published but i sort of turning my back on these themes i really am uncomfortable with this idea of writing i think i got caught up in this idea of writing with an idea to produce a body of work and mm -hmm. it, I can't reconcile with that that with not particularly being interested in some sort of legacy. How are you how do you feel connected to the tradition of how do you view your position in that established idea of having a published legacy? You know, is that um, something is that a, a main some, concern of yours? Or? Something that I would like to yeah, aspire yeah. to. Well obviously when you write, you want people to read it. Mm. There's the you write for, there's the old adage, first you write for yourself, and then if anyone likes it, it's a bonus. I've been lucky enough that some people seem to like what I've written. So, yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I would like to leave something behind. You know, um, I think everyone who writes, as you know yourself, would like to leave something behind. Legacy would be a strong word, because um, I'm just starting out, really. Yeah. I would like to have books published that people would like, mm. and, you know... I would be happy enough to leave behind when I shuffle off the mortal coil. You know? Yeah. I think this is coming from a position of me questioning whether I agree with those statements mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. about this is too self-indulgent. <laughs>
Well, I'll leave that bit in because I don't mind admitting that sometimes. And so, I mean, I have started a podcast. Yeah. That's self-indulgent enough. Yeah, it? yeah. And I think this is actually where the, the, the confusion is lying in my head is because my, yeah. my whole, my main profession now is yeah. producing an archive yeah. of other people's work. Yeah. And I, what I do is based upon this idea of leaving an archive yeah. and make perhaps a legacy and recording what's happened in the moment. Yeah. But trying to find a balance between doing that for, for other people and not being interested mm-hmm. in it as much through my own work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it there because otherwise, you know, my trip to Belfast is just going to be me trying to find myself on yeah. up on Cave Hill. Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you might struggle to find your find your true self in Belfast. <laughs> yeah. um, I think we'll take another reading, please, Matthew. Okay. Well, since we were talking about death and the exploration of it, <laughs> I'll read one of those type of poems. It was the poet Theodorgan that actually um, gave me the confidence to read this poem in, in public more. I was always worried about how it would go over because of its themes. It's a, a, an exploration, uh, really, of the Greek myth of Atreus and Thaestes, the two uh, bro- feuding brothers that nothing good came out of. It takes its cue, really, from, a re- from when I read a poem by Zvigniew Herbert, late great Polish poet. He's got a lovely poem called Apollo and Marcius, where he does the same thing. He, uh, he picks up at the, at where, the, where the myth ends, traditionally, he picks up from that and explores what happens after. So I guess I'm trying to do that, but it's, uh, it's quite heavy going, but uh, since it fits in with our, our earlier conversation, and I, I dedicated it to Savignyev Herbert because I took my prompt from his poem. Atreus and Thaestes. Wet-eyed and begging, Thaestes' sons are put under their uncle's blade. Clean-edged vengeance giver, Atreus separates them into pieces, aiming carefully at the wrists to make a clean sever and at pains to preserve the dignity of the young faces makes a good stroke at removing their heads. The heads and hands he'll cauterize and keep, holding in a single thought, reason and grief. And look what a lavish feast he's laid on for his brother, who sits across eating under the illusion of truce, who later will take the long walk to the oracle Red-eyed and sickened through the honeysuckle hedges and high-sided hollows, stopping briefly along the way to tickle his throat with a feather, vomiting up his beloved children amid the indifferent dipping swallows, the sweet scent of summer. How cruel the life that continues on. The cooling breeze and carefree sway of high branches make playful shapes in the setting sun. Thank you very much. I just realised what was going through my head earlier. <laughs> I got convicted because of my own uh, self-obsession there. <laughs> I got caught on this idea of legacy. What it was that struck me the other night was uh, both when you just talking about... Uh, Zvigniew yes. Herbert. Yeah. But also you were talking about Primo Levi mm-hmm. the other night as well. Yes, yes. I've been reading a book at the moment by the poet Inua Elams. It's a new anthology collection of memoirs, mm-hmm. uh, diaries and poetry through Nine Arches. And he did a 12-month residency at the Poetry Library. And he selected a poem from the year he was born until he turned 18. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a response to those poems. Oh, right. And I think maybe what I was thinking of, rather than this idea of legacy, but mm-hmm. the question about publishing and fitting into something, mm-hmm. is what are your ideas or how do you see yourself fitting into that tradition mm-hmm. in terms of responding to the context of poetry rather than 
perhaps ideas of legacy, but no. how do you how do you fit yourself into that? You know, like like do you feel I have a kind of particular voice that fits into the scene? Yeah, or do you feel like do you feel personally like you have an ob- some sort of obligation to recognise those that have influenced you? Oh yes, in that, yeah. certainly, certainly yes. I think it's very important to recognise anybody who's influenced you because you know people will see it in your work. You know, there's no point denying that you're influenced by a certain poet or whatever. Herbert would be an influence of mine. I love Elizabeth Bishop's paired back style, but yet it's language is loaded, but yet it's kind of paired back at the same time. I love that. I'm thinking specifically of poems like Brazil, 1st of January, 1502, I think it is, and, you know, Sistina, things like that. Finding your own voice in the light of your influences is important what some might call making it new, if you like. I don't know if I, if I do that. It's up for other people to uh, judge. But, um, yeah, nobody's not influenced by someone, as you know yourself, yeah. you know, so... But it's sort of the foreword to the book. Yeah. Um, it's called After Hours, and mm-hmm. that's because of the tradition of writing a poem after, insert yeah. name of poem, yeah, yeah. Or, or, their, or their poem. And in, in the foreword is an acceptance that there is no starting point. Yeah. You know, that's already happened and everything is just a response to something else. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, I was funny enough, uh, we mentioned Muldoon. Uh, I was watching a reading he did in New York. It was, it's on YouTube. And uh, he, he's got a poem called The Briefcase. And it's about an eel skin briefcase. And he says quite uh, unapologetically that he dedicated it to Seamus Heaney because he felt that Heaney was the eel poet. He makes the point that if you're going to write a poem about and with eels in it, you may as well recognise the guy that you know made it his own. Likewise, if you're going to write a poem about a flea, you should maybe recognise in some way John uh, Donne. Or if you're going to write uh, a poem about a, a moose, in some way recognise Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bishop. Hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, very important to acknowledge your influences, and I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Mm. You know? No, no, I think it's uh, it still surprises me there isn't more acknowledgement as to the influences. Mm-hmm. I've said this a lot of times on the podcast, but people may be listening for the first time, but my, my background was working with, as an art, art technician. I worked a lot with performance artists mm-hmm. and pretty much the whole art form stands on context. Yeah. And some of the work is so contextual that you it's impenetrable if you don't know what's coming before and what it's referencing. And I exactly. think that's probably an extreme and I don't think I'm not advocating that poets move towards that, but exactly. there is... Something and, and, nice and, about realising yeah. and accepting. And, yeah. yeah, and uh, you, you talk about context. Uh, I give a, a brief context of that last poem, but I think there's also there a responsibility on the reader to seek out. If they don't understand what's behind a poem, to go and find out what's behind it and yeah. then reread the poem again. Hopefully the poem has enough power that it'll, want, it'll prompt you to do that. Uh, that's always the hope anyway but I've found out so much about history from reading from reading poems and then going and looking at the context of that poem that bishop poem that I I mentioned there uh, Brazil 1502 made me want to go and read about the Portuguese Mm. uh, European uh, colonization and stuff of Brazil at that time so you know I think it's uh, uh, poetry can be a, a learning tool as well yeah if it's you know yeah we recently had uh Raymond Antrobus on as a guest mm. whose first uh, debut pamphlet has come out called To Sweet and Bitter mm-hmm. and he talked at length about the influence of Derek Walcott and mm. go on and read Derek Walcott and then you know the whole world yeah. opens up. I think that's a good uh, phrase, the whole world opens up. Mm. Yeah, uh, a whole other world that you weren't previously aware of. I'm going to have some t-shirts made with that. Yep, yep. 
<laughs> we need to start. I've got to raise some money with this project, so yeah, we need some yeah, merch to put yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. If there's other... anyone out there listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, time's ticking on, so we should talk about where people can find you, check out your work, and what if you've got any readings coming up. What's the best place for people to find you as a starting point? Well, I always say to people, if, you're, if you type in Matthew Rice Poet into Google, you'll find pretty much everything to date yeah. so far on there. I've got a few readings coming up in the future. Uh, Neil Young, who edits a magazine, he's a poet originally from uh, Belfast, I think. He now lives in Aberdeen and edits a magazine called The Poets Republic. He has uh, invited me over to give a reading in August on August 12th at the Blue Lamp with uh, the poet Ma Maggie Gibson. I had the pleasure of reading with her actually in Glasgow in November last year. So I've got that, that, that coming up if anyone's in, in the Aberdeen area who wants to uh, drop in. I think we've got quite a few uh, listeners in Scotland, actually. All right. yeah, yeah. yeah, they seem to um, love a podcast. Yeah. I was going to say something then, but it would come across really shitty. On, yeah. I always forget they can't see your face. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Tone, the tone of your sarcasm is not always... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hi, that's relayed. Really I've got that word context yeah, again. Yeah, back out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've, well, I've got that coming up. I've, there's a, a reading in Armagh as well in November. Uh, I think it's called Literary Lunch Time. It'll be me and two other poets. I'm yet to find out the whole details on that, but uh, it'll be. Yeah. And do you use social media to promote your uh, readings? You can find me on Facebook, yeah. um, but it's kind of promoted by the people that really... But, I mean, but, by all means, I would, I would, when you have events coming out, share it with yes. us on Twitter and yep. we, can, we can share it. Yep. We try to do that for all guests. I'm on Twitter as well at at words written. Yeah, we'll put that link in the description for the audio. Um, okay. Yeah, thank you very much, Matthew. Thank it's been you a very much for having to me. You. Um, thank you. We'll finish with a poem, please. I'll keep it a bit. I'll, I'll keep it a bit later. I'd love to, to finish with. This is a, a poem that was selected by Luke Kennard for the recent Best New British and Irish Poets anthology. So uh, he liked it, and I like him. So <laughs> I'll finish with this. Thanks for having me. At the lights. My friend says there are ways of seeing that can lift the veil from the world we see. That, when accessed, will crumble away the cityscape and show the reality behind the facade. She's been reading a book called The School of Sears. She's telling me this as we sit at the lights watching pedestrians pass in front of the car from either side of the road, dovetailing into space with expressive vacancy. And I drift into thoughts of that opening battle sequence in Macbeth, the strings that accompany it. The sun's been in my eyes since we got in the car, and everything has a sun stain as I close them tight and allow the motes to melt into darkness. I open my eyes again and we're moving. My friend has gone silent. A single drop of rain triggers the automatic wipers. Thanks very much, Matthew. It's Thank been you a very pleasure. much. Cheers. Thank you. That was indeed Matthew Rice. Lucky me. Sorry to everyone for rambling on about my issues around legacy and context. It can be hard to keep your inner artistic turmoil out of conversations like this sometimes. Since recording the intro for this episode, the submission window for The Tangerine has opened, so if you have any poems, short stories, essays, 
or photos and or illustrations you'd like to submit, then you have until July 14th to do so. Go over to www.thechallengeringmagazine.com for more details. Link in the episode description. I'll also use this opportunity to thank everyone involved at the Belfast Book Festival and the Crescent Arts Centre for making us feel so welcome during our trip to Belfast. If you'd like to find out about next year's festival, then go over to www.belfastbookfestival.com. Up next, Lizzie Turner talks to Anne McMaster about Women Allowed Northern Ireland. The pair discuss the fantastic job that that group does of providing a platform for women writers. And as an added treat, I've even shoehorned in a reading by Mary Montague into the middle of the conversation because I'm very kind like that, even if I'm not very good at editing. Links to Women Allowed and Mary's work can be found in the episode description also. Here's Lizzie and Anne. Enjoy. My name is Anne McMaster and I write a lot about the area that I have returned to live in and I am haunted by an old farm. This is called the Old Stone Wall. So much is lost. I walk the lane this silent, slow summer night up towards the old farm. A soft mist curls low on empty, mossy fields, and the patient wildflower scent is strong. Three small girls, three ghosts, tumble behind me as I go, racing past me up this summer-long lane to find their father at the hay, chasing a small dog, yelping, laughing, carrying a bottle of tea and a wrapped piece for the hungry man. I see them walking behind the trailer on an autumn dusk, hair prickling with flecks of straw, mouths sweet and dark with berries plucked warm from an August hedge. I remember them huddled, silent and golden-eyed on a dark October night, watching bonfire sparks burst up to the stars, their peach-soft skin blushed with heat, each goose-bumped with fear from the encroaching night. The lands and farm are done, sold on, reworked, the houses raised, only the old stone wall, aged older than the girls, remains. We climbed it then, knew it simply as a barrier, rough and tall, a challenge to our brief-lived years. Now tonight I see it as a thing of timeless beauty, of workmanship and pride. The three small girls tumble over it, riotous and laughing, and are gone. Thanks very much, Anne. You're welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> so you're here representing uh, Women Allowed Northern Ireland? I am delightedly so, yes. I'd like to begin by, well, if you could talk to us a little bit about the project in yes. general. Women Allowed is now well over a year old. We burst onto the scene at International Women's Day last year. We are the brainchild of an amazing lady called Jane Talbot. And her aim in Women Allowed was to raise the profile of the women's writing scene in Northern Ireland. And that includes writers of all types. Poets, playwrights, novelists, short story writers, spoken word performers, you name it. If there's a woman doing it, Women Allowed will give them a chance to have a forum. As I understand it, the main part of the project took place on International Women's Day, or was it the 7th and 8th of March? this year. That's right. We had done the same in 2016 and in 2017 we were doing it even more. I mean the reason we're here obviously is for the the Belfast Book Festival so you've got events happening for this as well. Yes. 
Absolutely. The wonderful thing about Women Aloud is, as I said, it's a forum for writers to get in contact, but it also allows us to keep in touch with all the projects that are happening. There are still poetry readings happening throughout the year. There are book launches. There are all numbers of things happening. And Women Aloud has created a forum to allow women to get in contact, to find out what's happening and to contribute. And yes, we've done... Now, we did a, a lot for International Women's Day this past year. We did a literary flash mob. There were readings actually in over 20 events over Northern Ireland. There were readings in libraries, bookstores and arts venues. We also took part in a project called Women Cross Borders. Um, at the very end of the week that included International Women's Day, where we travelled down to Dublin, reading on the train, and joined women writers in the Dublin area and the environs at the Irish Writers' Centre for a massive readathon. And that is exactly what we're going to be doing at the Belfast Book Festival. We're doing another readathon. Great. So I was reading a little bit on your website about the aims of mm-hmm. Women Aloud. Obviously, the main one is to raise the profile of women writers. That's right. Uh, to get more women writing as well. Could you talk to us in a bit more detail about how you're going about reaching those aims? The social media is a wonderful thing and we are able to stay connected. We're able to get in touch with the women who write are women who also contribute in so many ways with creative writing workshops, with poetry readings, with book launches. And so we now have a connective network I come from a very, very tiny rural area of Northern Ireland and as a writer I felt, although I wasn't aware of it at the time, quite isolated. But with Women Aloud I'm able to contact other fellow poets. I've done interviews where I suddenly discovered that the one lady I was sitting beside was the other science fiction writer who knew the other lady who was the other single science fiction writer in Northern (laughs) Ireland and it's just, it's a wonderful network and that sense of connectivity is very strong. Yeah, and have you noticed much of an increase in the number of people involved since last year? Yes, we have. This year, around 150 women from our 260 plus community took part in things. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, Whereas a year ago, I was sitting with a cup of coffee and a very distressed cat and a small book. Now I find I'm able to travel, I'm meeting people, I'm going to discussions, I'm listening to panel discussions, which are looking at the whole nature of women in writing, looking at publishing, and I'm part of a really positive, supportive network. Am I right in thinking that you have held events in every county in Northern Ireland? As far as I'm aware of, yes, we have. Mm. There seems to be an incredible growth in the number of women who are welcoming the chance to join this community because it reaches out. Again, social media is fantastic. Via email, I meet people at book discussions and at poetry readings that I've only known of through Facebook because we're connected in that way and then I get to meet the folk and and, uh, the ladies at the actual events, get caught up with what they're doing and all of a sudden my list of books to buy grows an awful lot longer. Yeah. (laughs) Also another thing that I read um, on your website was that you were encouraging people to hold their own events if there wasn't anything, perhaps anything of interest to them or anything close to them. Yes, very, very much so. As I said, Women Aloud really broke into um, the consciousness of, of the Northern Ireland literary scene last year at International Women's Day. But there are continual poetry readings. I've been lucky enough that um, because I come from 
a borough area called Causeway Coast and Glens. It's well outside the Belfast area and we were able to liaise with Waterstones, our local bookstore in Coleraine, who are really supportive. And we had in May a great set of readings where women from all over the borough were able to come forward and do readings from one of the ladies has a book that's just about to be launched. Others were reading from their poetry collections. There were others who were reading short stories. We had also writers who were absolutely new to the scene and were reading for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it was fantastic just to have that connection with everyone. Yeah. How many of you are involved with the main organisation of events and discussion of how how to reach your aims? Is everybody free to, to come and get involved with that side of things or...? It, um, very much so. It, it is now. Having said that, our driving force and our absolute core woman at the who is pushing right from the very front is Jane Talbot, mm. who has been the inspiration behind this, the creator of this. There are some ladies who do take a chance to man sometimes the Twitter feed to look after the Facebook page when other people are away on projects and not available. As we are growing, we're beginning to look at how we are defined for the future. And so I think the organisation is going to develop new areas to work in, new teams of people. But that sense of, if you have an idea, please go and do it, has always been there. Yeah. I think at this point we will pause for a poetry reading. No problem. My name is Mary Montague. I'm a poet and scientist by background. I have two collections, uh, Black Wolf on a White Plain, published by Summer Palace Press, and Tribe, uh, published by Daedalus Press. Um, and my website is, it's a WordPress website, so it's just Mary Montague, writer site, dot wordpress.com. First poem I'd like to read is a poem really about exile and um, what sometimes we find when we go home. This poem is called The Road Back. I wanted to go home, but the road was unapproved, bollarded and cratered. I wanted to go home, but the fields, the hedgerows were wired, booby-trapped. After days, nights, creeping along unknown byways, endless checkpoints, detours, red lights winking in the darkness, torches in my face, callous laughter behind the blinding light, I finally reached the village. At the sight of me, Mrs Irvin scuttled inside, shut her front door. The corner boys stared with blank, hooded eyes, their mouths grim. When I got to the house, the door gaped, the lock was broken, everyone was gone. Inside, all was scattered, smashed. I picked my way through the raid's aftermath. There were brute footprints, a thick, ugly tread grimed into the carpet, stamped onto the spilled linen. My mother's bridal crockery was in bits. I staggered through the wreckage, anchoring my mind on a cold injunction to feeling. Later, later. After the kitchen, the back hall, its door intact. I found the key in its usual place. I sat on the back step, thanking God for Leylandii. I stared out at the untrimmed lawn, the seeded heads, the common flowers. 
I lay myself down on a wild meadow. I stroked its fur. The next poem I'd like to read, I wrote following a bereavement, and it's called Three Letter Boy Road. Now the house is bone beautiful, laved, bammed. The smoothness of the blank and tranquil walls soothes my hand. Surfaces are scarred, carpets steamed, curtains are dry cleaned, nets and linings washed, everything rehung. Nicotine no longer haunts the air. The kitchen's blanched with sunshine, the burner hums. To visit now is near relief. All smells warm, fresh, cared for. I could not wash your body. I could not lay you out. But I have done this. I have left these rooms rinsed, empty and at rest. Their bare grace, full of light. Um, the next poem takes a slightly different direction. I was fortunate enough to be able to do a PhD in ornithology and as a result I learned a lot about a group of extinct birds um, known as the Enantiornithes from the ancient Greek, literally meaning the opposite birds, which were the predominant species of birds um, during the Mesozoic. So I wrote this poem about them, the opposite birds. Dead languages translate Mesozoic runes into a precise vocabulary that powers the Enantiornithes back into the air on their alternatively arranged bones of the pectoral girdle, whereby a boss on the coracoid articulated with a facet on the scapula, unlike modern birds where a boss on the scapula articulates with a facet on the coracoid. But overlooking the teeth, the clawed manus, in other respects, the opposites were the same. Wing proportions were of a volant bird. A triosseal pulley system worked the shoulder. The carina plunged for massive attachment of muscle. And the furcula was narrow and slender as any wishbone that springs to assist the flight stroke. For long migrations across the new oceans of the Cretaceous or flitting through forests of cycad where they thrived. All that's left are featherings petrified in volcanic ash to conjure words, marks on our perishable artefacts, quickening the breath at a rush of alternative wings. The final poem I'd like to read is about a kitten that my partner and I got uh, some months ago. He was a rescue kitten and he was very shy. Um, so this poem is called Feral. Black as a witch's familiar, damned he knows himself to be, for the jade of his eyes floods with fear to a similar pitch. Sleek satin silk soft sheathes his needle-sharp teeth, his lash of claws defending against the touch that he shrinks from, longs for. He gleams between the shadows of the stairs balustrade, glowers from under the sofa, at threats lurking in shades, ambush yawning in spaces. He is a cower in the corner, a slink against the skirting. Terror flutters his flanks. Nothing happens. He's left alone. He is fed, given privacy. He sleeps with the exhaustion of the unremittingly vigilant. 
Finally, a toy mouse at the end of a toy fishing rod tempts him out. And then he lets himself let you approach. He lets himself for the pause of a breath be persuaded. You feel his hesitation, the surprise, that oh, as he lets himself be touched. Thank you. Um, so I'd like to continue by uh, congratulating you on behalf of Women Aloud for the recent win of the Saboteur Award. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we had an incredibly exciting night where I think everyone I knew was on social media and we were following Jane and then we were able to watch it through live. And um, one of our members of Women Aloud, Freya McClements, received an award for Reviewer of the Year if I'm correct. We were entered for a number of other categories which we won in, which was absolutely fantastic. The best collaborative work for teaming up with female writers at the Irish Writers' Centre and that was a Women Cross Borders project and also we were nominated for and won the best wild card. Yes, so you shared a space with Lena Poetry Podcasts in the best wild card category. We did, I remember <laughs> reading through the list and going, I've got to check everybody out. Yeah. Absolutely. No, we were very pleased for you that you won that. Thank you, thank you. That's so so kind. <laughs> also, another project that we're part of, Poetry on the Picket Line, was shortlisted in the best collaborative category. I remember reading through that and seeing the asterisks that marked it out as the editor's choice and going, wow, this looks interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, well done. Um, Thank you. Could you talk to us a little bit more about the Women Cross Borders project? This was a wonderful collaboration that allowed us to link in with not only women writers on the other side of the border, but a number of groups helped to make this actually occur. And in that way, we had to look at thanking the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, the National Lottery, TransLink, as well as Jane Talbot. We had done, as I said, part of International Women's Day this year, we had done a flash mob. And our literary flash mob took us to some of the lovely areas of Belfast that are either, say for example, the spirit of Belfast, a wonderful space. But we also moved to various bookshops and various libraries, the Linden Hall Library being one, but we ended up at Central Station which is one of our train stations. And we were there then at the end of the week at an absolutely horrendous hour of the morning to get the eight o'clock Enterprise train to Dublin. Again, having linked in with TransLink, we were able to do a reading. So we actually had a readathon on the train itself going down to Dublin. Then we moved to the Irish Writer Centre where there were a number of us. I think we had something like 80 women from North and South who took part in a readathon. And at the end of that, we moved outside to wonderful, beautiful park area. And we actually had a mass reading where Jane, as it were, conducted us. And genres by genre, the women began reading until everyone was reading. It was a fantastic experience. That's brilliant. Is there sort of a plan in place for how you're going to continue the project, get more women involved? Um, spread the word. Have you got anything else coming up? Women Allowed members are very, very proactive at the moment in the Belfast Book Festival. Wherever we go and whatever we do, the emphasis and the general message is always, this is a group of women. If you are a writer 
and you're interested in writing, you're interested in reading your writing, sharing your writing, learning about publication, then Women Aloud is a really proactive group to join. As I said, we're doing a readathon um, this coming Saturday, the 17th of June, and up to 50 women are going to be reading from their work. So we're, we're there, we're keeping going, we're reaching out, we're involved in all of the counties in Northern Ireland. If someone has an idea, they put it forward, and things happen. It's the most wonderful thing. There, there aren't, I don't even know how to describe this, it's encouraging creativity in a way I haven't seen for a long time. There are writers of all levels of experience and the sense of support that comes from within the group is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Perhaps we could talk a little bit about your own writing, about how you got into writing poetry. I ironically have spent most of my working life as a lecturer in theatre and a playwright. When I began writing poems, um, I think I was probably five or six years old. I found them recently, I was absolutely horrified because I'm at the other end of the spectrum in age now from that. But I've written for as long as I could hold a pen. I know it's a cliche, but it's, it's there. I lived um, and worked in America for a number of years and came back because of a family bereavement a lot sooner from California than I thought I actually would have been coming back because I had in effect emigrated. I live on a very old, very run-down farm and when I returned to Northern Ireland it was with a sense of perspective having travelled across most of the states and been totally in love with it. The sense of freedom, the sense of openness, every state is so different. It's a, a large, clumsy, forgiving country in many ways. But I came back to the most peaceful, the most silent, the most old-fashioned way of life that I possibly could, and I began writing again. And where can our listeners find, find your work and find out a bit more about you? At the moment, I am unpublished. And I'm one of those writers who's just now starting out. I've taken a strange career move in that I took early retirement in order to be able to write full time. So I'm working on it. <laughs> I am delighted to be able to take part in poetry readings and in readathons. I'm writing and submitting assiduously. I'm getting published and hopefully I'm on my way. Great. Um, perhaps we could have another reading from you to finish. I'd be delighted. The strange thing about living where I do live is that you see things in a different way. Time does very strange things. And so I see the farm and the space and the rural area as it is now. I see it as I would like it to be. And overlapping on that, I see it as it once was. And I'm walking the roads that I walked as a kid. I'm moving around the farm that my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather built. I'm very much a farmer's daughter. And so this is a very brief poem. It's called Walking Home From School. Uh, my sisters and I had to walk about three quarters of a mile home each day from primary school. And because there were three of us, it usually ended up as two fighting against one. And because there were that number of us, it was a variable. You could have two different people fighting against one, just depending on what mood was happening. And this is called Walking Home From School. We walked the last mile home each day, three small girls, satcheled, often scratched from tumbling playground games and farmyard fun. In spring, the hedges burst with flowers, 
Bluebells rippled past us down the steepest banks, while we drew sweetness from the primrose hearts and stitchwort laced our way. I walk the same road now, some quiet afternoons, and note the trees, now aged and tall, that we once jumped from, played around. And sometimes, if the day is true, I press my face against the weathered, gnarled bark and hear childish voices still. Lovely. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks Thank for you. chatting to us. More than welcome. Thank you so much.